Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. It's good to see you all here today. Springtime has arrived. The weather's beautiful. And aren't you glad that we're here early this week? Because I think it's going to be another hot one just like yesterday was. Let us pray. Our Father, may it truly be said, each one of us in our hearts today, we long to worship you in spirit and in truth. Uh, Your Son has declared you to us and has declared that you desire those who will worship you in spirit and in truth, not merely in ritual or tradition, but in spirit and in truth. May we be guided by your Spirit today into the truth that will set us free, free to worship you, free to serve you, free to love one another. Father, we pray that you would meet with us here today and that in our presence, your son Jesus would be rightly exalted by us and in exalting him, that you would be honored and that we would enjoy the fellowship of your spirit. In the name of Christ our Lord, we ask it. Amen. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 19th Psalm, verses 7 through 11. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, 
there is an abundant reward. And this is the word of the Lord. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's going to be necessary to do just a little bit of a recap because it's been a few weeks since we've been in 1 Corinthians. Just to give you a little bit of background where we were, in chapter 8, Paul was addressing something that the Corinthians had shared with him in a letter. Uh, This whole idea, um, Paul, what would the big deal be about going to a feast that was held in honor of the gods that the people around us worship, because, I mean, on the one hand, we know an idol, it's not anything. And the gods that the idols represent, we know that they aren't the true God. They're just so-called gods. What would be the big deal? And what the big deal was that was going on was uh, there were special games that were taking place, like the Olympic Games. These were called the Isthmian Games. And during these games, every important citizen in Corinth would be invited by the president of the games to three banquets, three feasts. And at these banquets, obviously, the roaming gods would be honored. So the Corinthians who want to go to these banquets, they're saying, what's the big deal? I mean, I could go, right, Paul? And idols, nothing. And the so-called gods that the idols represent, they're nothing, too. I could go. I'm free. I'm a Christian, right? I can do this. Paul says, well, an idol's nothing. And the gods that they represent are so-called gods. But you're forgetting something very important. Not all of you Christians have this same level of knowledge. Some of your brothers and sisters have come to believe on Jesus Christ, God's Son, and they worship the true and living God. But they still would have a serious issue with idols. Like, because they think that these are real gods. And so, if you're going to one of these, these feasts, you're going to wound the conscience of a brother or sister. No, it's not the way you think, Paul says. You've got to have concern and compassion for your brothers and sisters. Your conduct needs to be determined by the consciences of your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And to do anything different, to wound the conscience of a brother or sister, that's to sin against Christ himself. This is serious business, and you're falling short. You're failing the test here. That was chapter 8. In chapter 9, when we looked at that, we saw that Paul turned the spotlight on himself, and he used himself as an example. Specifically, he used his status as an apostle of the Lord, as an example. He said, look, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have certain privileges and prerogatives that I could claim and I could use. For instance, the Lord has declared that those who preach the gospel ought to be able to make their living off the gospel. They shouldn't have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from. He says, but look at me. I haven't used that privilege and that prerogative. Why? Because I wanted to offer the gospel free of charge to you. Why? Because I didn't want you to think that I was in it for the money and I didn't want you to fall short of placing your faith in Christ. Do you get it? My concern all the way through has been for you, Paul says. 
your well-being, the salvation of your soul. That has been my driving motivation, and I've been so concerned about it that I have not exercised any of my privileges and rights. I hear you Corinthians talking about your rights, your knowledge, and what you can do, and how those who don't have the same level of knowledge, well, they can just figure it out for themselves. And Paul says, you're going about this all the wrong way. That's not how I go about it. You need to imitate me because what I'm doing, I'm just imitating Jesus. Think about him. He laid aside all of his rights, all of his privileges, all of his prerogatives as the son of God. He laid that all aside in order to be born as a baby in a very poor family, in the poorest town, in the poorest nation on the earth at the time. He laid aside every right, every privilege, every advantage, and he dwelt among us. And he was subject to all of the trials, tribulations, and struggles of living a human life. And then on top of all that, when he could have saved himself, when he could have called down a thousand angels from heaven to deliver him? No, he took the nails. He subjected himself to the cruel suffering of the cross in order to draw us to God. He's our example. I'm following him. You need to follow me. And forget all of this pride and arrogance about what you know. Think about your brother or sister in Christ. You need to be putting them ahead of yourself. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what Paul told us in chapter 9. And now we come to chapter 10. And chapter 10 is not disconnected from this entire discussion. It's not a standalone chapter. This chapter comes right out of this whole conversation about idols and eating in the temple of an idol and all of that stuff. Let's see how. Paul continues his thoughts on this matter of being disqualified. At the end of chapter 9, Paul expressed that he did not want to risk being disqualified, that he was serving the Lord in the gospel and he wanted to run the race all the way through and he didn't want to be disqualified because he pursued some selfish ambition. And now he's going to talk about this idea of being disqualified. Chapter 10. Paul says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, he's speaking of the Israelites here, were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. He's calling their attention back to a time long ago. The girls and I spoke about it a few minutes ago. When God brought the people of Israel up out of the land of Egypt where they were slaves, he brought them through the wilderness of Sinai to Mount Sinai where they received the law of the Lord. And then eventually, after 40 years, onto the promised land. Paul's making reference to all of this. And he says, remember, when they came up out of Egypt, God led them with a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They all passed through that cloud. 
They all passed through the middle of the Red Sea. He parted the waters. They walked through on dry ground. As they went through the wilderness, they cried out because they were hungry. God provided food, manna from heaven. All they had to do was pick it up and eat it. When they cried out because they were thirsty, God provided water from the rock. There was a rock. Moses struck it with his staff. Out came water, and the people drank all they wanted. Paul says that was the experience of our spiritual ancestors. Think about it. They all had a baptism experience. They passed through the water. They passed through the water of the Red Sea. They had a salvation experience. They were saved from slavery in Egypt. Salvation, baptism. They had a communion experience too, when you think about it. They had bread from heaven. And they had water from the rock. They all ate and drank. Do you see the similarities here? Paul says, our spiritual ancestors... They all had their own version of what we have in Christ. We have a salvation experience. We've been saved from our sins through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a baptism experience. We're baptized through water into the name of Jesus Christ. They passed through the Red Sea. We have a communion supper, the Lord's Supper, where we eat the bread that was broken. We drink the fruit of the vine. Our spiritual ancestors, they had a communion experience too. They ate and drank as well. But what I don't want you to lose sight of, Paul says, God was not pleased with most of them. Many of them were struck down in the wilderness. Matter of fact, many of them were struck down at Mount Sinai. He's going to talk about that in the next few verses. When Moses went up for 40 days, received the law of the Lord... The Lord says, Moses, it's time to get down off the mountain because the people have sinned against me. Oh, had they ever. Number one, they made an idol, a golden calf. Number two, they bowed down and worshipped it. And they said, this is the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then they had a party. Uh, We would consider it to be a very wicked, sinful, debauched kind of party. It was bad. When Moses went down off the mountain and saw what they were into, he took the tablets of stone on which were written the commands, he threw them down and broke them. Why? Because the people had already broken them. It was already done. Let's continue reading. It says, verse 6, These things took place as examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, this is speaking of the golden calf incident here. In a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Those were the fiery serpents that we read about in the Old Testament. The people complained and murmured against the Lord. Though He had provided for them, 
They complained. And the Lord said, you know what? I've had it with these people. And He sent these snakes, these poisonous snakes that bit the people, caused severe pain. And then He told Moses, make a bronze serpent, hang it on a pole and set it up, and you tell these people who have grumbled and complained bitterly against Me, you tell them if they want to be saved, they need to look at that serpent hanging on the pole and trust in Me that I'll deliver them. And I will. And many were delivered. Many were delivered and they learned not to grumble and complain against the Lord. But many of them, hardened in their hearts, refused to look and be saved. Many died. Verse 10, don't complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. It's interesting. You need to make the connections here. Paul himself is concerned about not running the race all the way through the tape. He doesn't want to be disqualified in his role as an apostle, as a preacher of the gospel. And he tells them, you ought to be concerned too. Don't think just because you've had a salvation experience... Don't think just because you've been baptized. Don't think just because you've partaken of Holy Communion that there is no danger of being disqualified and not finishing the race. Think about it. Our spiritual ancestors, the Israelites, they all had their own type of salvation, baptism, and communion experiences But those who did not remain faithful to the Lord, those who murmured and complained against Him, those who turned to other gods and worshipped them, those who did not keep His law, He was not pleased with them. And many of them died, and they never even made it to the promised land during that 40 years in the wilderness. And think about it, they were there for 40 years because of their unbelief. They didn't trust the Lord who had saved them. They didn't make it. Many of them perished and died. They were disqualified. That brings us to verse 12. So, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. The idea is, many of the Israelites fell because of unbelief, hardness of heart, disregard for the Lord's word unfaithfulness. Perhaps many of them thought that they stood and couldn't fall, but many did. Don't be like them, Paul says. Don't think that just because you've heard the gospel, you've been baptized, you've had communion, don't think that you're incapable of falling because you could. What's required? Faithfulness. Remain faithful to the Lord. Verse 13, Paul says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Don't think that you are ever going to be under any special set of circumstances that someone else has never been under before. This is the classic teenager syndrome, right? Whenever a teenager hits high school years, they say, You don't understand what it's like, Mom. You don't know what it's like, Dad. Because... 
No one was ever a teenager before, right? No, there's no temptation that has come upon you that others haven't experienced as well. What is required in the midst of it is faithfulness. And God is faithful. He wants you to be faithful, but he's faithful too. It says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now that's a promise to hold on to. And smile, grin like the butcher's dog when you claim it. Because that's a good one. God is not going to let any one of us enter into a temptation that he can't deliver us from if we just turn to him. You're never going to face a situation in your life that the Lord can't deliver you from if you're just faithful to him and you turn to him. You can get out of it. You can escape it. You can hold up under it. He won't allow anything more than what you're able to bear. With the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. doesn't matter what the devil throws at you. And he may throw the entire arsenal plus the kitchen sink, but it doesn't matter because the Lord is not going to allow anything to come your way that you cannot bear up under, and he will provide an escape route. But be faithful to him and trust him and look for that escape route. That's part of the trick too. Many times we aren't looking for a way out. Many times we're looking for a way in. Trust the Lord. Be faithful. He's faithful to us. Let's continue on in verse 14. He says, so then, my dear friends, and here's where he picks up the conversation that began in chapter 8 about idolatry. He says, so then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking as to sensible people here. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, he's speaking about communion, the Lord's Supper. Is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ. When we drink that cup, are we not saying that we participate in Christ's death because he died for our sins on our behalf? We participate in his death so that we can live. The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Does it not show that we are all members of one body, Christ's body? His body was broken for us, therefore we live. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. And he's talking about the priests who serve at the temple, at the altar. He says, do not those who eat the sacrifices, that is the priests, do they not participate in the altar? What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything no, no, of course not. Food sacrificed to idols, that doesn't matter. Am I saying that an idol is anything? Again, no, an idol is nothing. It's wood, it's stone, it's gold, it's metal. It's nothing. But here's the clincher. No, but I do say that what they, that is those who sacrifice to idols, what they sacrifice they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. What, what, wait, wait a second, Paul. An idol is nothing. And, and the gods that an idol represents, 
Those are only so-called gods. Yes, that's right, Paul says. They are so-called gods. They are not gods. But that does not mean that they are not real entities. They are. They're demons. They're not gods. But they are demons. And those who sacrifice to idols are participating with demons. They're having interaction with demons. Do you get that, Paul says? I don't want you to be participants with demons. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Think about that. You go to communion with the body of Christ. You drink the cup. You participate in the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You participate in his body. You are a member of his body. And then you go to this feast where these false so-called gods are honored. They're not gods. They're demons. And you're participating with them. You're drinking their cup. You can't do it. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Paul's basically saying, do you really want to push the Lord to see how far he will let you go? To see how much he'll put up with. Do you really want to test the limits? Do you really want to provoke his jealousy? That's what Israel long ago did. As they made their, their way through the wilderness, they constantly tested the Lord and provoked him to jealousy. They worshiped false gods. They bowed down to idols. They committed sexual immorality. Again and again, they tested him. They complained. The, the, the bread from heaven's not enough. We want some meat. They complained. We want water. We want this. We want that. The whole time the Lord's been providing for them. But they continue to complain. It's never enough. They test him. They test him. They test him. After they get settled in the land, the record of their history in the land was one of continually trying and testing the Lord until he finally did what he told them long ago he would do. He removed them from it. He took them out of the land. The Corinthians, they're not done. They're not done. Verse 23, everything is permissible, Paul. We're under grace. We're not under law. I can do as I please. Everything's permissible. Paul quotes it and throws it back in their face. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's permissible, Paul. Everything's permissible, but not everything builds up. And when I'm talking about building up, Paul says, this is what I'm talking about. Verse 24, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. That's the core dynamic. That's the central point of our Christian faith. No one is to seek his own good. Everyone's to seek the good of the other person. It's the needs of the other that determine our conduct. That's what Christ did. God's actions toward us in Christ are for the purpose of meeting our needs. Our greatest need was forgiveness, salvation. And then 
gift upon gift, he gives us his spirit. And he calls us sons and daughters. He brings us into his family. Everything God did through Christ was for our good, our benefit. He saw our needs. And his conduct met and exceeded our needs. Paul says, I do the same thing. I'm just following Christ. When I'm with Jews, I don't go around flaunting disregard for God's law. No, I act as a Jew because I'm trying to win them to Christ so they can enter into God's family and have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. When I'm with Gentiles who don't know the first thing about God's law, I don't go around quoting Old Testament chapter and verse to them. I try to share the gospel of Jesus with them so that hopefully they can trust in him and then I can teach them. I can teach them the law of the Lord. But I try to meet everyone according to their needs so I can build them up. Paul says that's what I've been doing and that is the central core value of the Christian life. Considering the needs of others, meeting those needs, building them up. Corinthians, he says, your mindset's all wrong. You've been focused on personal fulfillment. You've been focused on advancement. You've been focused on what you want. You're focused on what you think your rights are as a Christian. Come to think of it, does that sound like any other culture we can think of? Maybe our own. Focused on on our rights, our prerogatives, our privileges. It had gone so far in Corinth that there were those who were insisting on their right to eat in an idol temple. Paul says, you're participating with demons when you do that. And you're testing the Lord and pushing the limits of his grace and provoking his jealousy. And you're failing miserably at loving your brothers and sisters by putting their needs ahead of your own. Strike one, two, three. You're out. And you're in danger of disqualifying yourselves. They were failing on all counts. And in so doing, they were jeopardizing their blessings in the gospel. And they were risking severe judgment. Now, to wrap all of this up today, I've got three points for us to apply all of this to our lives. Because obviously... I don't think any of you, I I know I haven't, received an invitation to go eat a banquet in an idol temple. Any of you get that this week? I didn't. Okay, so, so that's not the thing we're dealing with. But this is applicable to us, and I want to show you how. The first thing I want you to consider, are we guilty of testing the Lord? Are we ever guilty of testing the Lord, of pushing the limits of his grace? Am I provoking him to anger through sin, willful sin and disobedience? You know, sometimes we can, we can push the limits by doing nothing, by sitting on our hands. Do you remember Jesus' parable about the servants? Left each one of them a little bit of money and said, be faithful with this till I return. Remember that last servant, what he did? He dug a hole, he buried it in the ground, and when the master came back, he gave it to him, wrapped up in that dirty old rag. He said, here it is, everything he gave me. I didn't lose any of it. And the master said, that's not what being faithful is all about. You're a wicked servant. You did nothing. 
Yeah, you see, sometimes we can provoke the Lord and push the limits simply by doing nothing at all. Think about that. If I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus, he will not just let me go forever to live like a child of the devil. Remember that. He's not going to let you go. He disciplines every son and daughter he receives. Think about the people of Israel. They learned the cost of unfaithfulness to the Lord, and they paid dearly for their sinful cravings, for their desires, and for their habit of always putting God to the test. It was painful. It was disastrous. And all of of the things that befell Israel were written down for us, Paul says. These things were written down to serve as examples for us so that we might learn how to worship and serve the Lord appropriately and not make those same mistakes of willfully rebelling and sinning and disobeying and complaining. Don't be like Israel was. Don't test the Lord. That's the first point. The second one is this. An idol is nothing. And the deities they represent are merely so-called gods. But that's not to say that these so-called gods are not real entities. They are very real. Paul insists that the so-called gods are real entities. He says they're demons. And to participate in idolatry is to participate with demons. You can't participate in the body of Christ and join yourself to demons. It doesn't work. In our culture, it would perhaps be unusual for one to find himself in the midst of an idol-worshiping event. But I want you to know this morning, just speaking as your pastor, there are other gateways for interaction with demons. It's not just through idols. I mean this. Gateways may present themselves through media, such as movies, television programming, music, and online content. Demons are very active there. If your spirit is in tune with the Spirit of God, you'll learn to recognize the voice of demons in all kinds of media. You'll hear them talking. Their central message is this. It's always this. This is always the central message that a demon gives you. It's always do what you want. And they don't change it up because it works well with human beings. They're stuck to that message. It remains the same. Do what you want. Now you start thinking about the songs you've heard through the years that tell you in a variety of ways to do just that. Get in tune with the Spirit of God and you'll learn to recognize the voice of demons. And there are gateways. Another gateway may be engaging in certain sins habitually, willfully, even after you've been convicted by the Lord's Spirit that you need to put this out of your life and be done with it. But you choose to turn a deaf ear to the Spirit of God and you continue to do what you want to do. Gateway. That's a gateway to a demon. Lies. Lies are gateways. Remember what Jesus had to say about Satan. Whenever he's speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. When he speaks a lie, he's speaking his native language. He's fluent in it. Now get this. When we lie and when we involve others in lies, we open the door just a little. 
It's a gateway. Demons are attracted to lies. That's the language. They hear you speaking a lie. And they say, hey, I know what they're saying. I'm moving in. Don't open that gateway. Those who belong to the Lord walk in the light and we ought not have anything to do with the darkness. And you'll know the darkness when you see it if you're in tune with God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit will let you know. But could it be that we've quenched the Spirit by repeatedly insisting on having what we want, though it grieves Him so? Don't, don't silence the voice of the Holy Spirit through willful rebellion against his leading. Avoid the darkness and have nothing to do with demons. Third point of application, and it's brief. The life we live, we live unto God. We live it in and through the arrangement that Christ has made for us to draw near to God. We live it in confident trust, in faith. And this life, this Christian life, It's not summed up as Christ has set us free to live as we please and do as we like. No, that's not the slogan. Not to do as we please and do as we like. Instead, it is Christ has set us free to do as we ought. And to do what is good and beneficial for our brothers and sisters. Apart from Christ, you don't have a snowball's chance and you know where of accomplishing it. But in Christ, you can do it. You can live as you ought. And you can put brother and sister ahead of yourself. And you can consider the needs of others. And that's just what Christ did. And he calls us into that life that he lives. And he wants us to live that life out. Christ has set us free to do as we ought. And to do what is good and beneficial for our brothers and sisters. The needs of others are to determine our conduct Because we're to be seeking their good in all things. My behavior, what I say and what I do, I'm constantly supposed to be evaluating that, saying, how is that going to look to those who are watching me? What do they need to see in me? They need to see Christ. They don't need to see my desires, my ambitions. They need to see Christ Could this have something to do with what Jesus meant when he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. What is that new commandment? Say it with me if you know it. Love one another. Love one another. Put each other first. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the example that Christ our Lord has lived out and continues to live out in our midst. An example of laying down of self. We thank you for the apostles who walked in that same sort of selfless love. Lived it out as an example for us. Father, we thank you that through your spirit, we can do it too. We can lay aside self. We can reject participation with anything that is dark and unholy and we can live as we ought. We can do as we ought. We can love as we ought. We can seek the good of others above ourselves and we can fulfill the law of Christ, his one overriding commandment to us that we love one another. Help us continually to constantly think about this 
may your spirit bring it ever to our minds that we ought to be loving one another and our conduct should reflect it. In the name of Christ our Lord, enable us by your spirit according to your grace. Amen. May the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.